This is the EWN Podcast Network. Everybody wants to win. It's how we define success in life. Michelle Nagel explores resilience, teaches you happiness hacks, and provides tools for building positive relationships, all of which are essential for winning at the game of life. Join us to learn how to roar. Hi, welcome to Roar to Win. This is Michelle Nagel. With, um, and today we have Greg Johnson, who is a sober specialist. If with his own life experience and his unique style of motivational teaching, Greg helps those struggling with drug and alcohol sobriety to remain sober after treatment. He speaks the language of spiritual recovery and knows how to connect with those in need of his message. He has over a thousand hours of coaching, facilitating, and speaking. His dynamic energy, which is both captivating and inspiring, transforms lives. Whether working with high-level athletes, actors, and professionals, or disenfranchised youth on the streets of Los Angeles, Greg's method and message is the same. Combining compassion, tough love, and spiritual guidance in his spiritual design for successful sober living, Greg has a powerful formula for helping those struggling with sobriety to heal and thrive. So welcome, Greg. Thank you so much for being with us today. Michelle, thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here with you on Roar. Um, I know we're going to have such a great time. Thank you for creating this platform. Uh, the work that you do is so powerful and so needed in our world. So thank you for being bold and brave and stepping out and, and sharing your message. Thank you. I really appreciate it. We talk about resilience, optimism, accountability, and resourcefulness, which is what you need to win. And that's what the Roar to Win means. So um, you are a perfect guest for us, and I would like to have you give us just a little bit of background. So you talk about recovery from addictions and um, alcohol and, and drugs and things like that. So why are you so passionate about it? Oh, my goodness. I am so passionate about it. Um, you know, it really hits close to home. Um, right, right in my heart and my soul and my spirit. And I, I believe oftentimes as I encounter entrepreneurs and uh, those that are out to make a difference in the world that really we are given the opportunity through our own life experience to walk through trials and tribulations and tragedies and to take those and to heal and to transform our lives with those events and then go out into the world and assist others with, uh, with those situations or circumstances uh, that we have faced in our own lives. And in fact, I, I, I love our conversation before we got on the line here. We were talking, right? We were talking about just that and uh, sharing our experiences of, of, of life. And so with my life experience, um, I grew up in a household uh, that was in active addiction, unbeknownst to me, uh, my father in high school was in the throes of addiction. And his addiction started very early on when he was drafted for the Vietnam War. And I remember looking at his beautiful little picture, 18 years old in his little army uniform, so beautiful, so innocent, so naive, with the world awaiting his arrival. And so when he was drafted and he went over to Vietnam uh, to deal with what he saw and experienced, uh, he did what everyone did. He began drinking and, and using drugs, using speed to stay up and fight. And when he came home from that war, um, he was never given the opportunity to address those horrific uh, episodes that he saw in the war. 
And so he turned to alcohol and, and drugs to alleviate those, those feelings. And through the years, it accelerated, it progressed, his addiction. And when I was in high school, my parents divorced, remarried other people, divorced those people. In my freshman year of high school, they remarried. And I moved back in with my father for the first time in many, many years. And I began to witness some horrific behavior. Um, he would be gone from the house days on end. And he would come home and crash and just pass out on the couch. And it seemed like he slept for days. When he did wake up, he would go into this horrific rant in the middle of the night. It was just, it was insane. And I remember thinking as a, as a teenager, like, what the heck is going on here? Having no idea what my father was going through, that it was an act of meth addiction. And when I was 25, after moving out of the house, I had limited communication with my father because he was just so insane, mentally insane. And when I was 25, I was living in Miami, Florida, and I received a call from my brother. It was on the message machine when I got home from being out in the clubs in Miami, three o'clock in the morning, listened to the message. And with such urgency, my brother said, please call me. You have to call me immediately. And I could tell with his voice that there was something dire uh, happening back in California in my home state. And I called my brother and he answered. And he told me that our father had died of a, a meth overdose, of, of a drug overdose. And he described how they found him. They found him uh, slumped over, laying on the floor with a tourniquet wrapped around his arm and a needle in his hand. And I remember receiving that information, that, that news, Michelle, and I just, I fell apart. I, I just, it was awful. Um, yeah. Well, so yeah, I'm, I am so moved. I can hardly speak that uh, I'm sorry that you had that experience. And I'm sorry that your father didn't get the help that he needed because me too. Me too. Vietnam, they just didn't seem to recognize that PTSD was a real thing. No, no, not at all. And yeah. he, he suffered God, God bless his soul. He suffered tremendously. Um, and so what I did, you know, I was, I was so fearful that I would end up like him. Um, I was so fearful. I had so many questions and concerns that would this be my fate? Would I, 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 I didn't know. And what I did to alleviate that fear and that not knowing, um, I did what I knew how to do. I began to drink even more. I began to party even more. I was 25. Living you know, Miami, South Beach, and and progressively, I just drank and used more drugs. Uh, and over the course of the next nine years, uh, the partying got heavier and heavier and deeper and deeper. And ultimately, nine years later, in 2005, I realized that I was in trouble, that something was not right. Um, it's so crazy that, you know, we, we to what, what my father to assist me, uh, but I, I just didn't. And we talked about this before we got on the line here. Uh, 
that we are given uh, a soul contract, that there's a destiny within us. It's designed within our DNA. And I know that my father had to give his life in order for me to have life. And I know that I had to spend the next nine years to go down my own path, utilizing meth and, you know, really becoming so addicted to it because I truly wanted to understand what my father had gone through because I had no idea. I had no idea what he experienced and believe you in me, I surely did. And I remember in 2005, I'd been up for four days. I hadn't put any food in my system. I hadn't put any uh, fluid, no alcohol, no water, nothing, only meth in my system for four days. And I went into the bathroom uh, to use the bathroom. It was four in the morning. And I'll, ne I'll never forget this. And four in the morning, I looked in the mirror and it, it was a moment of clarity. I saw myself and I realized I was looking at nobody. There was nobody home. There was, there was no one there. And I said, how the hell did this happen? Oh my God. And I remember hearing the voice of God, that sweet whisper of divine intelligence saying to me, he said, my son, you're dying. You're dying. And if you don't stop, you're going to die like your father. Now, my stinking thinking was, as long as I don't shoot up drugs, I'll be fine. Because if I shoot up drugs, I'll die like my father. So right. I did not do that. I did it every which way but that way. And so in that moment, I had the realization, oh, my God, I am, I am going to die if I don't stop. And it put the fear of God in me. And in that moment, I said this prayer with such earnestness, vulnerability, honestness, truthfulness, willingness. Please, God, help me. Please, God, help me. And it was uh, this relief that came over me. I was still scared as scared could be. And the next day I, I went out and I went out into the park and I had my headset on and I was listening to music and I could hear the voice of God again. And that voice said, don't worry about a thing. You're going to be all right because God could feel me and hear me about worrying. How am I going to do this? I don't know how to do this. What's going to happen. And God assured me and said, don't worry. You will be fine. You will be great. I was like, okay, okay. I don't know how. Don't worry. You don't need to know how. All right. All right. And sure enough, what happened was angels came into my life. My good friend, she, she took me to a recovery meeting. She took me to my spiritual community. And when I walked into that spiritual community, I'd grown up in Pentecostal church and, and the message that I heard at growing up, it, it, it contradicted many ways the message that I heard within me as a very young boy about love, about goodness, about God, about Jesus, not to get religious, but the teachings of Jesus, of love and forgiveness and compassion and kindness. It burned within me from the, the tiniest of age. And as I grew up in the church, it contradicted, many of the teachings contradicted that, which put me into chaos and conflict and confusion and guessing my own inner truth that I knew to be true. And when I walked into Agape that day here in Los Angeles, and I heard Michael Beckwith speak, I began, I burst into tears because I knew I was home. I was home. And I was hearing that message that I spoke within my own heart. And from that moment, I threw myself into spiritual study there and I went through a four-year program in addition to doing the work of recovery to educate myself about the nature of the disease of addiction 
that treated that. And I needed the spiritual treatment as well. And I threw myself into a four-year study program, became licensed as a spiritual practitioner in 2009, and I have never looked back. And I have built my life on these principles, these spiritual principles, these spiritual teachings that have set me free, that excite me, that fill me with purpose and passion. Oh, it's become the way of life for me. That's wonderful. So um, your experience then with, you said that uh, the contradiction that you received from what the, your, that religious group was teaching you and what was in your heart was in your heart um, is the knowledge of love, that you are loved. Is that correct? Absolutely. That love is everywhere present. And that's, that's the fundamental teachings of Jesus, that unconditional love. Right. And, and so many people try to teach us to fear God. And that's, that's not a loving kind of a thing. So um, there, it's very interesting. I, I do something called heart math. And heart math teaches that when we want to receive intuition, when we want to receive, we have to be in a heart space. Because it says in the scriptures that God's going to teach us in our mind and in our heart, not just in our head in our heart as well. It's got to be heart-based. And so all of the inspiration that you received, when, when you um, received those messages, I imagine you probably felt them in your heart as opposed to your head. Uh, absolutely. I felt them in my, in, into the depth of my being, right? That the heart access right. and into the depth of my being, like this infinite eternal expression. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's so important that we live from the heart and everybody just lives from like the head up and it, it doesn't, doesn't make for a really good life. So, um, so you, thank you for sharing that. That's a very, very powerful story of your journey and how you got from where you were to where you are now. Um, what makes you the heart leading specialist in the field of recovery and sobriety? Absolutely. Great question. So through our work, my work with clients, we have created this technique, the heart healing transformation technique. And so often clients are suffering in silence, right? Those that are suffering in addiction, active addiction or alcoholism, it's a silent suffering that we are in fear of reaching out for help. Our hearts have been shattered, mm -hmm. right? We are not home within our own hearts. And so through my life experience, losing my father at a very young age, suffering through my own battle with addiction, and then coming out the other side and learning how to mend my own heart, to put the pieces of my broken heart back together again. And I started from scratch. Now, I was such a bad addict. I was in such bad shape that I could not have done it just with a 12-step recovery program, that I needed a spiritual program as well. And so what I have created is a five-step program that is the spiritual design for successful sober living, a five-step system to strengthen your recovery. And what we do is make spirituality simple. Oftentimes when people are coming out of active addiction, just coming out of treatment and embarking on this life of sobriety, when we talk about spirituality or God, it is 
daunting. It, it can be daunting. It can be overwhelming. How do I go about it? I don't know what to do. And so within our five steps of program, if I may go right through those, uh, the first step is cherishing your sobriety. Number two, listening to the knowing. Three, seeing a vision. Four, creating sacred ritual. And five, experiencing miracles and magic. And so the first step on cherishing your sobriety, if we do not cherish something, we will easily give it away. And so the knowing and the understanding that our life is a gift, that your life is a gift, and this sober life is a gift, that we must cherish it. And so there's some very practical things that we can do to cherish sobriety. First is, might be very obvious, is to be grateful, to be grateful and thankful because for so long we could not stop drinking or using no matter what. Mm -hmm. And now we have finally had this awakening, this moment of clarity, this enlightenment where we're able to stop, put down the drink and drug for a moment. That is a miracle. That is a miracle. And we must cherish and give thanks for that miracle. Now, three other ways we can cherish our sobriety. One, environment. Being mindful of the people we surround ourselves with and the, the areas are where, where we go, right? We don't want to go back to bars. We don't want to go to the drug dealer's house. We don't want to surround ourselves with people in active addiction or active alcoholism, especially in those early days and months and years of sobriety. It is a trigger. And if we do, we will go back to using. It's that simple. Uh, responsibilities, two responsibilities, putting responsibilities before our sobriety. So oftentimes what happens we see with our clients is that they clean up, they feel great, they go through treatment, 30, 60, 90 days of sobriety. I got this. Damn, this is good. And they stop doing what they did initially to get sober. They stop doing that work and the responsibilities become the priority responsibilities, the family, uh, relationships, all of those responsibilities, the job, begin to come before the sobriety. And when we put those things before our sobriety, we are ensuring that we will lose our sobriety and we will relapse. Mm -hmm. And finally, number three is, is focusing on the external, keeping up with appearances, that the appearances and the external become more important than what's happening internally, right? Mm -hmm. That we get caught up with the money and looking good and I got to get this and I got to have that to define who and what we are rather than focusing within and living from within our own heart space, living in peace and joy and serenity. And when we get caught up on the external, we get caught up and it's like a, a hamster on a hamster wheel and we can't get off. And ultimately, those pressures and those stresses of trying to keep up the appearance of success will take us under and bring us back to relapse. So by implementing those four practical applications, we begin to cultivate a heart of cherishing our sobriety. 
So um, what do you do if, since you, you are doing this from a standpoint of that it's important to have both the actual physical tools, but it's also important to have a spiritual relationship. What do you do for people who don't believe there is a God? Ah, that's great. <laughs> it's an excellent question. Most of the time, I would say a great uh, 80% of the folks that we work with, when we begin to work with them, do not believe in God, do not have a relationship with God, hate God, hate themselves and not able to give themselves a relationship with God, are in fear of God, struggle with it, question it, ponder it. And I would say 99.5% of them, when we're done working with them, they come to an understanding of a God, of a higher power that they believe in, that brings them comfort, that brings them into a place of peace and joy and love. Now, oftentimes people think that we're separate from this power, mm -hmm. that it's outside of us, right? But what we come to understand through the work that we do is that we are a part of the power, that God dwells within us. This mm -hmm. intelligence and this love is who and what we are, that we are made in the substance of it. And we can address it scientifically. Mm -hmm. Scientifically, if we look at the universe, that we are of the same energy of the universe, that we are made out of the stardust of the galaxies. Mm -hmm. And so when we come to understand that, it changes our perception and it shifts us. And we get, begin to walk in a place of faith and hope and understanding and truth. And the beautiful thing is that with each client, it is entirely different, for lack of a better word, that, that God, as we understand it to be, there's no end to it. It is an infinite, ever-expanding universe that we live in, and that means it is an infinite, ever-expanding relationship that dwells within us, mm -hmm. that we are always expanding. So I imagine that you find a lot of people that have... Um that are in denial that they even have a problem so do people only come to you when they've pretty much crashed and burned or do they um do they come because somehow something has brought been brought to their attention that they have a problem yes so i believe that most people know that there's an issue now whether they want to listen to that knowing right this is uh kind of talks to uh, step two here a little bit um the listening to the knowing all of our clients that we work with, they know that there's an issue, but they don't listen to that knowing. They do not listen to that knowing because they, they don't want to for whatever reason, fear, doubt, worry, the list goes on and on, right? Mm -hmm. And so when we come clean and say, you know what? I hear you. I hear that voice that says there is an issue. I know there's an issue. And in that willingness, that openness to do something about it. And we're here to say, that you do not have to struggle on your own. You do not have to suffer on your own. You do not have to stress on your own. With our system, it is designed to assist you in alleviating, dissolving, disappearing all that stress, all that suffering, the doubt, the fear, the worry. It dissolves away. And we are here to hold your hand, to hold your heart, to assist you in putting back together the pieces of your broken heart, to relieve you of the bondage of self, meaning that, that judgment you have towards yourself, 
for everything that's taken place, what you've done to yourself and what you've done to others to assist you in walking right through that and forgiving all that. Mm-hmm. That's, that's wonderful. We need to take a small break right now. And then please come back and listen to my conversation with Greg Johnson, who is the sober specialist. He talks about some really tough stuff that people don't like to face, but it's really important to make a difference in their lives if they do. So please come back. Have you ever asked yourself this question? Why is it so hard to make a buck? (laughs) I know I have. Hi, I'm Sandra Yancey, founder and CEO of eWomen Network. What I have discovered after going from the brink of bankruptcy to running a multi-million dollar award-winning business is this. You can't build a million dollar dream hanging around minimum wage mindsets. My mission is one million women entrepreneurs generating $1 million in annual revenue. So here's what I've done. I've created the mother of all entrepreneur success programs that you can access online on your time. It's called Monetize Me Now. It's a seven module online course that is 100% my success formula, covering mindset, mission, management, motivation, marketing, and measure. Come on, take my hand and I'll show you the way to learn to earn flowing revenue for your business. Visit monetizemenow.com for details. Welcome back. This is Michelle Nagel with Roar to Win. And our guest today is Greg Johnson, who is the Sober Specialist. Greg has a lot of his own life experience and, and he has a unique style of motivational teaching that people really that really resonate with people and really does a great job of helping them to overcome addictions to alcohol and drugs. So Greg, what is the first number one action to take in building a solid foundation for recovery? Great question. So I'll give you an example. This ties in with uh, creating God or believing in God as we were just talking about before the break. The number one action is really uh, being truthful and honest with oneself. I had a client that was so steeped in a meth addiction, uh, battled with relapse, treatment after treatment, relapse after relapse. Um, He was in such blame, such denial, so angry at his family, everybody else for what he was going through. It was their fault. And he just could not take responsibility for his life at all. It was always somebody else. And he did drugs because of them. And with working with him, we spent a lot of time on this. And finally, he came to the realization that he was able to take responsibility for his life, that he was able to take responsibility for his actions, what he has done, why he used drugs, finally after decades of using and what he came to realize when he took responsibility for his life is that he was responsible for using drugs Mm -hmm. that it was his responsibility and what allowed him access to understanding that he was responsible for that is that he was a drug addict Mm -hmm. i am a drug addict and when he claimed that for his life all of the blame, 
all of the anger, the resentment, the frustration, all of that emotional content that kept him relapsing year after year after year dissolved away, mm-hmm. absolutely faded away, and he was set free. And so that right there allowed him the openness of faith, of hope, of belief in cultivating a relationship with God as he understand God to be. He went from being mad at God, not believing in God, questioning God, to walking away from us and our work with a heart full of God, with a life and mind full of God, full of love, joy, peace, compassion. It's, it's really astonishing how much of a difference it makes in your life when you stop all the blaming and complaining and you do take responsibility for your life. Um, many times in, um, I was telling you before that there was a crash and burn that I had recently and the individual who uh, started that whole disaster said that that was the one principle that they hated more than any other was the hundred percent responsibility because everything was my fault. And uh, it's so much easier i guess to blame everybody else so how obviously listening to the story that you told accepting that you are an addict that you really do have a problem with drugs or alcohol and it's totally hijacked your life that's that's the important first step it's a huge step yes and it is a daunting step it is a very daunting step And that's why we're here, to assist in that, to look at that honestly and truthfully, and to assist one in walking into the, it's it's like opening the door, right? You open the door and you walk through the door and you walk into this brand new room. It's a whole new way of living. It's a whole new way of being. And it's, it's that simple to walk through that door. It's instantaneous, right? And once that shift takes place, get ready. For so a brand you, new life. Yeah. So what do you do with this self-loathing when somebody re- relapses? Do you have people in your program who do occasionally relapse? They, we, I've worked with individuals that have come out of treatment. They've left treatment. And what happens is, this is the thing. What happens is they come out of treatment. They're fired up, right? They, they, they learn all this new information. And so it, it is about... Um, applying the information, mm-hmm. applying the information that is learned. And so that's why our work is so powerful because we assist the client in applying the work, right? Learning the, learning the work and then also applying the work. And so we have, yeah. So you pretty much then fill a gap actually because, Absolutely. because there's the, uh, when they're in the treatment program, they are, uh, that's all they're doing. And then they get out of the treatment program and they're in life and they've got all of those responsibilities. They have all of those things that they have to do their, their duties. They have to have a job. They have to interact with their family. They have to do all of those things. And as you said before, they end up um, being the prime focus and that's what they do. So what, what you do is you help keep the, uh, the recovery as the prime focus so that you can do everything else. Is that correct? That is absolutely correct. That's why we're here. That's why we do what we do. And in addition to that, that we assist the client in deepening the spiritual practice, developing 
and deepening a spiritual practice because that is why there is so much relapse. The mm -hmm. statistic for people that stay sober is very, very small. I believe it's around 10%. I'm guesstimating at the top of my head. I don't have the fact right in front of me, but it, it's right, right around there. It's very, very small. The missing element is a spiritual practice, spiritual mm -hmm. practice. And so in addition to what you said, Michelle uh, identified, right? Keeping sobriety first uh, as, as the, the, the most important thing of our lives and to develop, to create a spiritual practice, right? And that's, that's step four, creating sacred ritual, right? And mm -hmm. creating that with our clients. And it's based upon number three, seeing a vision, right? Becoming clear on what it is that we know to be true for our life. Mm -hmm. What is it that dwells within us? Not, not manifesting something or visualizing something, but looking inward to the vision for those dreams, those desires, those passions that dwell within and identifying those. And in step four, creating a spiritual practice, a connection to that, to those dreams, those desires, those passions, right? Because they are of God. They are of a higher uh, calling. And when we walk through that, these steps, through the, through the work, the, the, the knowing of God becomes so clear. The knowing of a higher power becomes so clear. And when we begin to shift our perception, our perspective, our heart is returned. We're living from within our heart. Our heart is mended and we are connected to our own heart, our own soul, our own spirit. We begin to witness and see the miracles and magic of God everywhere. And it's better than any high, any drug ever taken. Mm -hmm. So that um, it's also really important for an individual to discover who they really are. Um, so the work that you're doing when you say you take them inside, that's to discover their I am statements. I am, um, you know, uh, I am a loving person. I am a sensitive person. I am somebody who wants to accomplish something good. I think important, or even just an I am of worth, I think is probably one of the major ones that they need to learn. Would you find that? That is a big one. That is a big one. Mm -hmm. And in addition to those I am statements, right? Really believing it, knowing it, we, we had a client uh, just the other day who was talking with me and he says to me, he says, you know, when I was 19, I had this traumatic experience and I realized uh, when I was 19, he's now 35, that I have a very sensitive mind. Mm -hmm. My mind is very sensitive. And he always took that as a negative, as, as a detriment. Yes. Yeah. And mm -hmm. he beat himself up for that, right? And when we looked at that and examined it and realized that to have a sensitive mind is such a gift, mm -hmm. it is a gift of God. And when he understood that, it was as if he did a 180. He, in fact, turned 180 in the way he perceived his mind, in the way he perceived himself. And what he once thought was a detriment was actually his setup for his greatness. And you could just see him open and awaken to that, right? 
Right. And so that it's about creating a new relationship with who and what we are and our worth and our value. Yeah. So it sounds like really what your, your work is, is um, I talk a lot about abandonment and something happens to us in our childhood to every single one of us, actually, at some point we feel abandoned by someone or something that was really important to us. And, but the worst part of that is when we self abandon. And so what you are teaching people to do is how to be there for themselves and to reconnect with the, their higher power, which is part of the self, right? Yes. And identifying because most of us, this is where the denial comes in. Most of us don't even realizing, realize that we are doing that, right? That we are replicating that behavior that was done unto us when we were young. Right. And we, we don't even have the awareness that's exactly what we're doing. So that is the power of the work that I do, that we do, is to identify exactly what that behavior is and why we are doing it. And when we have that information, that information blows us away. It is, it, it is such awareness, such mindfulness. And we know the power, of aw- the power of awareness and mindfulness. When we have awareness about something, it dissolves the power that it had over us. It just goes away and it's done. Right. Like Brene, Brene Brown said, we have these stories that we make up in our heads. And so if we just say to ourselves, the story I'm, I'm making up right now um, Unfortunately, we take those stories because we have an incident that happens to us and then we take those stories and those stories become our truth and they become our limiting belief. And that's then our brain is very busy running around looking for evidence to support whatever it is that we decided to believe. So it's um, it's (laughs) when you start getting into the avenue of the brain, it's fascinating and also uh, really kind of amazing how we can screw ourselves over. Yeah, and that is the very thing that creates conflict, right? That, that right there, what you just identified so beautifully, so powerfully, right? That thing that screws us over, it screws us over because it, it, it creates such an internal chaos and conflict and confusion because within us, deep within us, is that that that. that all-knowing uh, place of God, right? That knows beyond mm-hmm. what we think we know. Right. And so we, we begin to listen to that silly little mind that screws us up rather than listening to the great knower that dwells within. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And that does make a tremendous difference. So um, what is the key connection? You, you mentioned that, but I'd like you to reiterate it again for a strong and sustainable future in recovery. Absolutely. So a, a connection to self, Mm-hmm. Connection to God, connection mm-hmm. to a higher power, connection to a spiritual practice, uh, connection to a vision for your life, connection to purpose and passion, and mm-hmm. uh, connection to gratitude. The list goes on and on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what are the top three reasons why people fail at staying sober? Well, we have an e-guide. We have a free e-guide, which we are offering to all of your listeners. And this has been put together through thousands of hours of research with clients. It is five reasons why people do not stay sober and how you can. There's five reasons that we've come to understand working with clients. Um, I'll take one of them. One of them is craving. 
this phenomenon of craving. And so we know that when we use drugs and alcohol, we put that substance in our body. If you are an addict or an alcoholic, it sets off the phenomenon of craving. We want more. We want more. We can't stop until we get more. Give me more of that substance or drink. And so when we get sober, that phenomenon of craving is usually still present or prevalent. And if we don't address that phenomenon of craving, which is an energy, it is a power, it is a force to reckon with. And what we can do is utilize it to our advantage. And so rather than craving drugs or alcohol, we then know how to go about sobriety and creating a life of sobriety and a sober life for ourselves that we must crave. We must want with a passion and a desire this life of sobriety. Mm -hmm. So we take that energetic of craving and move it from drugs and alcohol to that of a sober life. It is a powerful force and we can utilize that force for our good. Rather than utilizing it in a destructive manner, we utilize it in a favorable, powerful, positive manner. Mm -hmm. We have the ability to do that. So how would somebody get that guide that you just mentioned? Sure. So the guide is available at soberheart.org forward slash sober success guide. I can repeat it one more time. Okay. Soberheart.org forward slash sober success guide. And so people can reach you also at soberheart.org to learn more about you? Email at greg at soberheart.org. Greg at soberheart.org. Mm-hmm. And also, um, we have created, Michelle, uh, something special for the Roar to Win listeners. If you are suffering or stuck or stressed out about staying sober, getting sober, or if you know somebody that is in that position, you know, a family member, a friend, we are offering to your listeners five complimentary sober success strategy sessions. And those are valued at $500 each. We are offering five of those. If you go to greg at soberheart.org, in the subject line, put S-S-S-S, Roar. Okay. And just say, hey. S-S-S-S, Roar, okay. Yes. And in your email, just say, hey, we, we, want, we would love one of your complimentary sessions. And we'll take it from there. Give us your contact information. We'll reach out and we'll set up the one-on-one 50-minute session. And we will assist you in identifying uh, where it is that you're stuck, why are you suffering, why are you stressed out, and your action steps forward. That's really very generous. Thank you so much, Greg. And what would you like our listeners to know, or what would you like to leave them with? Yes. Great question. I, I love our conversation before we got on the line. Uh, it was so beautiful. I loved it. And the parting thought is everything that we go through, everything that we experienced, all of the trauma, all of the hardship, the sadness, the sorrow, the depression, uh, the thought that I just don't want to be here, whatever it is, it is all there to serve our greater good. 
that it is a divine destiny that is unfolding. And when we walk through that pain, that trauma, that sorrow, it will take us to a beautiful place in our lives. And I know this. I know this because I live 14 years sober now in everything that I've been through, the loss of my father, my own battle with addiction has brought me to this moment right here to be with you all and to share hope, faith, power, strength, love with you all, that it is not for naught. Don't worry. Get ready for your greater yet to be. Thank you so much, Greg. And you wanted to leave us with a blessing? Ah, yes. I love, love, love praying. So I would love to just bless us with a a closing prayer or a blessing affirmation, however we want to say it. So I invite us all to close our eyes. And as we breathe in through our nose, just breathing in that peace, joy, calm, love, exhaling, allowing our body to relax, exhaling through the mouth. And so, dear God, great spirits of this universe, all-knowing divine intelligence, whatever we call it, as long as we call upon it. We call forth over our lives just such peace and love and joy. And for all of your listeners listening today, roar, 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 roar. And we know that you are a winner, that you are winning And so we come together as this united community to rise up into our greater yet to be, which already exists within us. It is a beautiful day. So we go forth from our time together, inspired, just loving with such kindness and compassion in ourselves and all those encounter and know that your life makes such a great impact on our world, that you are loved that you are beautiful, that you are amazing, that you are powerful. So we just give thanks for our time together. We say, thank you, God. And so it is. Amen. 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 That was beautiful, Greg. Thank you so very much. And thank you for joining us today. And I know that Uh, somebody out there needed to hear this message because there's so much pain in the world and Um, people get tangled up when they think, oh, one more drink is not going to hurt, and it does. So thank you so much for joining with us. Thank you for joining us today as we learned happiness hacks, relationship tools, how to refuel our resilience batteries and perfect our roar. Resilience, optimism, accountability, and resourcefulness. Roar to win. I'm Sandra Yancey, CEO and founder of eWomen Network. We invite you to listen to all of our EWN podcast hosts at EWNpodcastnetwork.com. This is the EWN Podcast Network.